Well, this morning, if you have a Bible with you, I would like you to turn to the very, very first book of the Bible in Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2 and verses 20 through 24. We're going to be looking at a number of passages of Scripture this morning, but I want to begin with that one. Hold your place there for just a minute, and I want to explain what we are going to do this morning. We are going to take a slight departure from our series on discipleship, although what I am sharing with you this morning really has everything to do with discipleship, but it's not part of the series that I have been preaching on. This morning, we are going to do something a little different, and so if you are visiting with us this morning, uh, there is an issue that the leadership of this church feels that we need to address with the whole church, and we grappled with when to do this in an evening service or a morning service and decided that this is something that we wanted to present to as many people as possible, so we chose this particular Sunday morning service. So if you're visiting, this is a little different than what we do, but we are hoping that this will be an important subject for you as well. A uh, little less than a month ago, some of the most godly men and women in our nation got together and they formed a statement called the Nashville Statement. It is called the Nashville Statement simply because these godly men and women met together in Nashville, Tennessee, and thus the name. So it is the Nashville Statement, a coalition for biblical sexuality, and they put together an important document, a document that states clearly where the evangelical Christian church, those who believe that the Bible is the word of God, a paper that says here is where we stand on the important cultural issues of our day related to biblical sexuality. So it would be sexual relations, related to same-sex attraction. It would have to do with same-sex marriage and with all of the issues that are coming out of what is known today as transgenderism. And we believe that this paper is extremely important for all Christians, not only in the United States, but around the world. And you may be sitting where you are today and saying, I've never heard of this. Well, that's why we are presenting this to you because we believe you should know about this and you should understand what it, why it is important, what its significance is. So we are going to look at this document this morning. I want to begin, you're in Genesis chapter 2, just stay there and I want to read Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27. It says, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And I want you to see in Genesis, at the very beginning of the word of God, that it is God who designs and creates. Let me say that again because it has everything to do with what I am presenting to you this morning. God designs and God creates. In Genesis 2 verses 20 through 24 it says the man gave names 
to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Verse 24 is going to be repeated a number of different times this morning. So I want that to be kind of etched in your minds. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Well, I prepared a number of notes that I want to share with you this morning. Our first statement, or our first point, is the Nashville Statement. On Tuesday, August 29th, the nationwide coalition of 153 evangelical Christian leaders released a statement affirming their biblical beliefs regarding human sexuality. It begins, the document begins with a preamble stating why the authors of the document feel that this paper is necessary. It looks like this. And I'm going to share in just a little bit that there are all kinds of copies of this out in the foyer for you to take. We want every family to have one of these copies. Now, I want to say right from the very beginning, do not be intimidated by this document. It is actually only three pages long. The last four pages, excuse me, the last four pages are all of the original signatories of the document, and so that's four pages. So this is only three pages long, not difficult for any of you to go through. So it begins with a preamble stating why they felt that this document is necessary. It then has 14 articles, and by articles I don't mean like an article you would read on the internet or in a newspaper or in a magazine. Rather, articles here refers to statements, clear, concise statements. It has 14 articles or 14 statements clearly stating the Bible's teaching on various areas of human sexuality that have been points of profound controversy in our culture. Each article, each statement has a we affirm and we deny. So it takes a principle and states the principle in both the positive and then in the negative. This document has been praised by conservative Christians across the nation as an important and desperately needed document clarifying the church's position on human sexuality. As you can imagine, over the last three and a half weeks, this document has been viciously criticized by those who are theologically liberal, by the secular community, and by the LGBTQ community. It has come under heavy attack. And when I say vicious attack, 
Um, that is probably an understatement. It has been widely attacked by various organizations and news sources. The leadership of First Baptist Church believes it is important that we as a congregation affirm this important document and stand with our brothers and sisters in Christ around the nation. The pastors had an opportunity to present this document to our elders and then to our deacons at their, each at their separate meetings during the month of September. And here is our goal, and this is very important this morning. Our goal is that at our annual meeting on January 17th, we are going to ask you as our church family to vote to affirm this document and to make it an important part of our church's stance and position on human sexuality. Now, this will be a little different. When we say we're going to bring it to you, at the annual meeting with a vote to affirm it, it's not going to be a yes-no vote because everything stated in this document is clearly biblical and drawn straight from Scripture. So we're not going to ask you whether you believe the Bible is true or not. Okay? We wouldn't have a vote for that. Rather, though, it is still important that we have an actual vote to affirm this document that we as a congregation, because we are congregationally ruled as a church, that we as a congregation, in essence, by our vote, lift our voices together and say we affirm this important document. Doing it at the annual meeting will also allow you three months to read through this and to ask any of the leaders of our church questions that you may have about it. Now, some of you may be saying don't we already have a church policy on marriage and human sexuality? And the answer is, yes, we do. It is this document right here. It is the First Baptist Church Policy on Marriage and Human Sexuality, approved by the pastors, elders, and deacons in June of 2014. Some of you may remember that I took an entire Sunday night and explained this document. It has been available at the Information Center in the foyer for the last three years. The Nashville statement is not replacing it. It is standing side by side with it. We want both of these statements to articulate our church's position on biblical sexuality, which we believe is one of the most urgent and important issues of our day. Now, Copies of the Nashville Statement, as I mentioned, are available in the foyer. We have made a lot of them. They're in one of the slots out there. We want you to take one with you and read it carefully. We have also included in the bulletin under the sermon title the website that you can go to to look at the document online. And I would encourage you to do that. It is found at the Council for Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. This is a wonderful conservative Christian ministry that has stood strong on these positions for years and really was the facilitator for helping to draft this particular document. When you go to the website and you go to the Nashville Statement, you will see a number of areas where you can click on. I want to encourage you to click on Resources. When you click on Resources, it will list for you over 40 
passages of scripture that were used to draft this document. Over 40 references from scripture that were used to draft this particular document. It also has some key articles, and I mean actual articles, written articles, by some of the men and women who signed this document saying, here's why I signed the Nashville Statement. So you can get their particular point of view on why they think this is important. In addition, we are also making available to you a, an article from World Magazine. It actually comes from the uh, ESV Study Bible, but was reprinted in World Magazine a number of different times. It is an article called The Bible and Homosexuality by Wayne Grudem. Wayne Grudem is one of the leading theologians in the world today. And he gives all kinds of scripture references on the whole issue of the Bible and homosexuality. So between this document and the Nashville Statement and our policy on marriage and human sexuality, we hope, and I mean this very seriously, we hope to overwhelm you with scripture. We hope to overwhelm you with these documents chock full of these scripture references so that you have a good understanding of what the Bible says. Because my opinion and the opinion of anyone else in this church is irrelevant, but what the Bible says is everything on this issue. And that is where we have and will take our stand. So, again, those documents are all available out at the Information Center. The original group of men and women who drafted and signed the Nashville Statement include many of the most trusted, conservative, evangelical Christian leaders in the world today. And if you will allow me just for a minute, I want to read some of those names. I'm not name dropping. I'm not trying to impress you. I want you to know, though, who put this document together. I'm not going to read all 153 names, but I do want to give you some of the names that you would probably be most familiar with so you know who is behind this document. John Piper, Dr. James Dobson, Russell Moore, J.I. Packer, Wayne Grudem, Al Mohler, Tony Perkins, D.A. Carson, John MacArthur, Sam Alberry, R.C. Sproul, Rosaria Butterfield, Francis Chan, Marvin Olasky, Nancy DeMoss, Kevin DeYoung, Alastair Begg, Mark Dever, Randy Alcorn, Matt Chandler, J.D. Greer, Kent Hughes, C.J. Mahaney, Tom Rayner, J.P. Moreland, and Joel Bells. Now those are just a few of the men and women who put this together. The document now, since it was released in late August, the document now has been signed over 17 by over 17,000 different Christian leaders. Okay, since it was released in late August, it has now been signed on to by over 17,000 different Christian leaders. Dr. Al Mohler, the president of Southern Seminary and one of the people who put this document together, I have mentioned him often from the pulpit, said about the statement that it is dividing 
people in our country into three different groups. The first two groups are Christian, the third would be those who are non-Christians. In the first group are those conservative evangelical Christians who are saying we must speak on this issue. We must speak with clarity and we must speak with compassion. We must do both. We must speak with clarity on what the Word of God says and we must do it with great compassion. The second group of Christians are saying this, you know what, let's just preach the gospel, teach the Word of God, and let's not even delve into these controversial issues. Let's preach the gospel, preach the Word of God, and, and not even bring up these controversial issues, just let the chips fall where they may, let's just do what we're supposed to do, and kind of let the culture take care of itself. And so there are, there are Christians who are taking this position that we shouldn't be even dealing with abortion or same-sex sexual relations, same-sex marriage or transgenderism. And then there is the third category, which would include those who are of a liberal theological position, those who are part of the secular community and the LGBTQ community, who would say that we are just wrong, that what we are teaching and saying on these issues is just wrong, the Bible is wrong, and we ought to be supporting these people, we ought to be advocates of these people. Our church leadership believes that our church is in the first group. We believe that our church wants to speak with clarity and compassion on the most important issues facing our culture in this day because the Bible does speak clearly about them. Our second point this morning is some of the particulars. The preamble of the Nashville Statement clearly explains why the document was written. It starts off saying, why do this? Why is it necessary? And it begins with Psalm 100 and verse 3. Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who made us and not we ourselves. The only one that has the right to say who we are and how we should behave is the one who created us. And so if you will allow me, it's a little bit longer, and I don't normally do this, but I want to read it for you. I just want you to listen carefully at this preamble to this document. This is what it says. Evangelical Christians at the dawn of the 21st century find themselves living in a period of historic transition. As Western culture has become increasingly post-Christian, it has embarked upon a massive revision of what it means to be a human being. By and large, the spirit of our age no longer discerns or delights in the beauty of God's design for human life. Many, many deny that God created human beings for his glory and that his good purposes for us include our personal and physical design as male and female. It is common to think that human identity as male and female is not part of God's beautiful plan, but is rather an expression of individuals' autonomous preferences. The pathway to full and lasting joy through God's good design for his creatures 
is thus replaced by the path of short-sighted alternatives that sooner or later ruin human life and dishonor God. This secular spirit of our age presents a great challenge to the Christian church. Will, will the church of the Lord Jesus Christ lose her biblical conviction, clarity, and courage, and blend into the spirit of the age? Or will she hold fast to the word of life, draw courage from Jesus, and unashamedly proclaim his way as the way of life? Will she maintain, will the church maintain her clear countercultural witness to a world that seems to be bent on ruin? We are persuaded that faithfulness in our generation means declaring once again the true story of the world and our place in it, particularly as male and female. Christian scripture teaches that there is but one God who alone is creator and Lord of all. To him alone, every person owes glad-hearted thanksgiving, heartfelt praise, and total allegiance. This is the path not only of glorifying God, but of knowing ourselves. To forget our creator is to forget who we are, for he made us for himself. And we cannot, we cannot know ourselves truly without truly knowing him who made us. We did not make ourselves. We are not our own. Our true identity as male and female persons is given by God. It is not only foolish but hopeless to try to make ourselves what God did not create us to be. We believe that God's design for his creation and his way of salvation serve to bring him the greatest glory and bring us the greatest good. God's plan provides us with the greatest freedom. Jesus said he came that we might have life and have it in overflowing measure. He is for us, not against us. Therefore, in the hope of serving Christ's church, and witnessing publicly to the good purposes of God for human sexuality revealed in, script in Christian scripture, we offer the following affirmations and denials. So that is the beginning. That is why it was written. And one of the things that we most appreciate about this document is that it honors God's design for human sexuality. is isn't just... And when you read it through, you will find it isn't just a bunch of, well, here's the negative verses on homosexuality or other issues related to sexuality. No, it is here's God's beautiful design. Here is what God created sexuality. Here is what God created marriage to be. Anything outside of that is wrong. And it only leads to our own ruin and our own self, excuse me, self-destruction. Interesting, in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus is approached by the Pharisees, and they ask him a question about divorce. But what's really interesting is Jesus doesn't really specifically address divorce per se. 
he takes them back to the original design for marriage, which is so instructive for us. In Matthew 19, verses 4 through 6, we read, He, Jesus, answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore, notice Genesis chapter 2 here, he is quoting directly, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let man, or let not man, separate. So when these questions are asked of us about all these issues of sexuality, the question for us is, what is God's design? How did God create it to be? In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 31 and 32, the Apostle Paul again quotes from Jesus, who quotes from Genesis chapter 2. Ephesians 5, 31 and 32. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. I would like to read a few of the document's articles as a means of encouraging all of us to read through the whole document. Again, I'm not going to read all 14 articles or statements, but let me read four as an example. Article number one, we affirm that God has designed marriage to be a covenantal, sexual, procreative, lifelong union of one man and one woman as husband and wife and is meant to signify the covenant love between Christ and his bride, the church. We deny, we deny that God has designed marriage to be a homosexual, polygamous, or polyamorous relationship. We also deny that marriage is a mere human contract rather than a covenant made before God. Article 4, we affirm that divinely ordained differences between male and female reflect God's original creation, design, and are meant for human good and human flourishing. We deny that such differences are a result of the fall or a tragedy that needs to be overcome. Article 7, we affirm that self-conception as male or female should be defined by God's holy purposes in creation and redemption as revealed in Scripture. We deny that adopting a homosexual or transgender self-conception is consistent with God's holy purposes in creation and redemption. Article 10, we affirm, we affirm that it is sinful to approve of homosexual immorality or transgenderism, and that such approval constitutes an essential departure from Christian faithfulness and witness. We deny that the approval of homosexual immorality or transgenderism is a matter of moral indifference about which otherwise faithful Christians should just agree to disagree. Now, let me try to bring this all together this morning because I know you can read this for yourselves. Some of you may be asking why our church and churches like ours 
are so focused on this one issue? This is a fair question. And the answer to it is very important in our day and age. Why are we so focused on this one issue? After all, aren't there many sins out there that we all commit? Why are we so focused on this one area of homosexuality and transgenderism? And the reason why is because these issues have become the most important issues in our time of history in the culture that we are living in. Folks, this is our time. We aren't living in the 1700s. We aren't Christians living in the 1800s or even in the first part of the 1900s. We are living in this age. This is when we were born and have lived upon this earth. And we have to, as Christians, as those who know Christ and want to obey him, as disciples, we have to respond to the issues of our day. We did not ask for this. Groups aren't out there asking for other sins to be legalized or imposing them on everybody like they are with these issues. So we did not ask for this. It has been thrust upon us. In fact, I think it is safe to say it is being forced upon us through many avenues of our culture, through the education system at all levels, through our political system, through various and if not all avenues of media, it is being thrust, if not forced, upon us. It is a major issue, if you're not aware of it, it is a major issue in, in business practices today, in personnel issues, in hiring issues, in which companies you will or will not deal with, or they will or will not let you deal with, based upon these important cultural issues. Let me try to put it this way. If someone attacked my home and my family, I would do everything that I can, everything that I can to defend my family and to defend my home, and I know you would do the same thing. I did not ask for someone to attack my home. I did not ask for someone to attack my family. But if they did, I would defend them. I would do everything I can to protect them. Please listen carefully. The issues that we are facing in areas such as homosexuality and transgenderism is an all-out attack on the teachings of the Bible. Do not miss that. This is an all-out attack on everything the church has believed for over 2,000 years. And really, more than 2,000 years, because this goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. And they are telling us today that what we are teaching on these subjects is wrong. And that the Bible, as it speaks to these issues, is just wrong. I would have a hard time explaining to you how important this is this morning. Because folks, if the Bible is wrong on homosexuality 
and its various issues, on transgenderism and its various issues. If it is wrong, then we cannot trust the Bible on, in other areas like salvation or forgiveness or eternal life. If it's wrong in one area, how can we trust it in any area? Do you see how important this is? This is more than just one or two issues in our day. This is an all-out attack on the integrity and reliability of the Bible itself. Now, we want, and I want to make this very clear, we want to show gospel compassion and love to those who disagree with us. We do. I shared with the deacons just on Thursday night. People have been and will continue to say hateful and mean things about people like us and churches like ours. They will. We will be accused of hate speech, of homophobia, and all other kinds of accusations. We might as well get used to it. But let us respond like Jesus. Let us not respond tit for tat. Let us present the truth of God's word and let us present it with love and compassion. We fully acknowledge we fully acknowledge as a church that there are many out there who struggle with same-sex attraction and gender dysphoria, as it is known today. There are people genuinely struggling in, this, in these areas, and we need to lovingly and with great compassion proclaim the truth to them and the hope and freedom that is found in Christ, that is found in the word of God. Randy Alcorn, who some of you may be familiar with, he helped draft this, one of the original signers of the document. He is the director and founder of EPM, Eternal Perspective Ministries. He wrote the national bestseller book on heaven, a biblical view of heaven, which we have recommended to all kinds of families in this church who have lost loved ones. It's one of the best books I know of on the subject of heaven from a biblical perspective. Randy Elkhorn, if you've ever heard him speak, is a very gentle man, very reasonable, rational man. He said this, we can't truly love people by lying to them. Okay, you do not love someone by lying to them, by telling them that their lifestyle is okay and God doesn't care about their lifestyle. You, are not, you don't love someone if you lie to them. Folks, we have to address these issues with the clarity of Scripture and the compassion of Christ. But we must, we must speak the truth and stand for the truth. Our whole faith depends on it. This is our time. We weren't born a hundred years ago. We won't be alive a hundred years from now. This is our time. And we're, I've asked Pastor Mike to close with the hymn, Rise Up, O Church of God, because that's what we need to do. In love, 
in compassion, we need to rise up and unashamedly speak the truth of God's word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, help us to have the courage of Christ. Help us to have the love of Christ and the compassion of Christ to speak clearly to these issues that are being forced upon us in this day and age. Help us to speak the truth. Help us to want to help those who are genuinely searching and struggling with some of these difficult issues. But Father, never help us to never, ever back down. For we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.